Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. How you doing, Shelby? I'm good. How are you, dude? I'm doing good. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And uh, you were just in Spain, right? Am I correct on that? Yeah, I was. I was just at um, Extreme Barcelona or Urban World Series. <clears throat> and right. yeah, just out there for about a week. It was a lot of fun. Okay, well, before we get into too much of that, let's uh, kind of talk about who you are, where you how you got into the scooter industry and kind of what you do. Yeah. So my name is Shelby Grimness and um, I've been scootering and like in the scooter industry since like 2005. Um, I got into it kind of like how a lot of people got into it back then, like seeing like razors came out in like 2001 and like, you know, every kid back then, they wanted a scooter, and so I got one, and, like, I was at the skate park, like, skateboarding and doing rollerblades, and so obviously I see this thing with wheels on it, and I, like, I'm pretty sure I can do a trick on it, and, like, started messing around, like, in my driveway with it, and then, but I would, like, never take it to the skate park, because I didn't see anyone in the skate park with, like, a scooter, so I just never took mine there, and then I think I saw, like, RVM, and, like, RVM3, and... yeah. Like, a month after I saw that video part, Addison McNaughton showed up to my local, because he was going to school at University of Arizona. I lived up in Tempe, so he came up from Tucson on the weekend, and was, like, riding Tempe, and I was like, okay, like, this is sick. So I, like, took my scooter to the skate park and, like, met, uh, like, Alex Stedman and this dude named Charles who used to ride in Arizona, like, a long time ago, and met those dudes... And I just like kind of like started riding with them and shooting photos with them, and yeah, and that's like how I got involved. And at the same time, like I picked up a camera, um, in like two thousand and like two thousand five around the same time, and like really got into photography. So I kind of like oh, gotcha, my okay. photography kind of like grew up with scootering in a sense as well. Yeah, you're like one of the main scooter photographers in the entire industry. So, like, that's awesome that you've been doing it for that long. Um, so, like, in 2006, like, how old are you now? I'm 30. 30? Okay, gotcha. Um, so, yeah. like, how how many people started, like, how was the scene in Arizona back then, back when it all kind of started? Because I, I think of like California, kind of, because that's where you like saw all the videos and stuff. But like, how was the scene in Arizona when you started? I want to say the scene was actually like looking back at it now, like the scene was really strong. We had like this crew called like the Arizona Scooter Crew ASC, and like this is back in the MySpace days. So like we'd edit our like. Oh, yeah. Usernames on MySpace, and it'd be like Shelby, and then like parentheses like ASC, and like, uh, <laughs> but there was a ton of us like Alex Stedman, like, you know, he obviously like everyone yeah. probably's heard who Alex Stedman is, but then there's like yeah a whole, and then Sean Cardwell, the Grape Slushies, like they like it was us three, and then a bunch of other dudes who kind of just like came in and out, and then like um, Big White. And then Ernie, like, they were around. So, like, 
thinking back at it now and seeing how many of us from Arizona are still around, like Ernie and Big White are at Woodward killing it there, like um, Sean like yeah. came to the ball and like Alex, you know, obviously was on Proto and made like, you know, Sig Wills and the SCS and stuff like that. And so many video parts and just like his style, like in general, like he doesn't ride like anyone else. And he made, I think he like kind of made a pathway for like other guys that are super tech to be like, oh, like Alex does that. Like, I want to try that instead of just like trying to like throw yourself down a set or like off the yeah. ramp, you know, but well, the, that's crazy, really crazy that like, at it. yeah, that's really crazy that all, all the people from like your group were like, are still doing it are still part of the industry right now or like that many people i guess yeah yeah so like how I did you really kind of get in just now yeah how, how did you get in with like the vault like how did that happen so i moved to la in like 2012 i was like 19 about to turn 20 oh, and i at the time dialed magazine was around and they were getting funding, I think, from Scooter Hut to make the magazine. So yeah. they were paying me like once a month, like a decent amount of money just to like drive to California, stay in a hotel, shoot a bunch of photos, and I would go home. And I was doing it like once or twice a month. And so I was just like, I wanted to leave Arizona. I wanted to move to California. And so I just kind of like told my dad, I was like, hey, like, I think it would make more sense. Like, they can pay me more if I live there because I can do more work. So I just kind of, like, sent it and moved to L.A. And then I want to say, like, two around, like, two years after I moved to L.A., like, I needed something else. Because, like, you know, as you get older, you start having, like, more expenses or you just, like, start spending more money. Yeah. Um, I needed something to kind of, like, you know, to pad my bank account or whatever. And... The vault posted on Instagram that they were looking for someone to like work for the shop. So I just like emailed the email on there and I sent them, I was like, hi, like my name's Shelby, like sent them my like scooter resume. Cause that's all I had. I like never worked a real job before. And right. like two, yeah, two days later I get an email being like, okay, can you start on Monday? Like no formal interview, no phone call, no nothing. Just like one email. And then they email back being like, yeah, can you start Monday? And that's how I got my like well, job at the vault. Well, I suppose you have enough uh, scooter credibility in your scooter resume that they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I this think too, like Nick, like Nicole from the vault or Nick, um, yeah. met me like a year prior to that because I shot or like maybe two years. It was like right when they were opening, they were like making an ad and it was like, I went over to Nick's house, like, he hired me to shoot these photos, and I went over to his house, and, like, met him, and then it was, like, Tyler Whelan, and then Arthur, and Andre, like, sitting in, like, a baby pool full of money, and there's, like, yeah, like, this is a photo we're gonna shoot for, like, this ad, I was, like, okay, and so, <laughs> I think Nick, like, I met Nick once before, right. so, I'm sure that helped get my job, but, like, yeah, um, yeah, it's... <laughs> really funny that's an interesting uh set to walk into i suppose <laughs> yeah like it was wild like um you know for me like meeting someone 
and like having to go to their house and then just see like you never met someone before you've never been near a house and like all of a sudden you're just like walking through their house and you see this set and you're just like okay like uh, <laughs> it's definitely not like the most normal way to like be introduced to someone but luckily like yeah, exactly. i've known tyler for a really long time so it wasn't as awkward like if tyler wasn't there it would have been super awkward yeah so what's your main gig right now so i was at the vault from like 2014 to 2018 and then i went to fusion um for two years and then covid showed up and when right. you're a team manager <laughs> there's really no managing to happen during a pandemic so i lost right. my job at fusion and i was unemployed for a bit like i was just shooting photos like obviously the government was like helping everyone out who lost their jobs a lot so i was kind of like riding that wave for a while and then right. last year around like november i went back to the vault and back there full time as like their social media manager and their team manager, which was what I was doing at Fusion, but also like at the vault, like I guess like for the people who've never been to the shop or they like they just see it, they think it's like this massive thing, like Amazon style like warehouse with like all these employees. Yeah, like when massive. really there's like Right. Yeah. When really like every day there's maybe like six or seven of us there and like three people were working down in the warehouse. And then there's like three or four of us upstairs, like handling stuff. Um, yeah. But so that we wear so many different hats there. So like, I can't even really tell you what like my job title is. Cause like one day I'll be doing like team management right. stuff or social. And then the next day I'll be like planning an event or doing a ride day or something. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. And there's like the one time I've been there, it, the, there's not that many people there. You guys are just, hustling just getting it all done so yeah that's cool but uh how did what was your time at fusion you a team manager at fusion yeah i was team manager um between like 2018 to like march 2020 and it like they brought me in because keith um sheffield i think that's his last name um Braden's yeah. dad, he was the TM at Fusion for a really long time, and Braden was stepping back from scootering because he uh, enlisted in the Navy. So he was, like, going off the basic, right. and Keith was just like, hey, like, you know, my kid's not really involved anymore, and I don't really, like, I want to go do other things. So he left, and then at that time, I'd already been traveling with the team as just as, like, a photographer, and I got along with everyone yeah. very well, so... Um, the people at Fusion just like came to me and were like, Hey, like, would you want to do this? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Cause I just left the vault. So I was like, yeah, like absolutely I'm down. And yeah. And then just like, where's Fusion, where's Fusion um, based? They're based in Oakland. Um, okay. And yeah, but I was able to work remote. Like I didn't have to go to the office. Like I think they had me fly up there to like meet everyone in the office like right after i started just so like when i'm emailing someone like i know who i'm actually talking to um right but everything could have been like was done remote so i was just working from my house yeah has there been any offers that you've gotten that you haven't taken as far as like jobs in the scooter industry yeah like there's definitely been a few smaller companies that 
reached out to me, like, especially when I left Fusion, um, they hit me up and they're like, hey, like, we want to bring you in. And then they would, like, ask me, like, how much I was getting paid. And then I would tell them, and like, oh. And, like, I don't think they realized that, like, when you hire someone, especially, like, what I was doing with Fusion, like, I was doing it worldwide. I wasn't just, like, the U.S. team manager. I was, like, oh, really? doing the U.S. team. Yeah, the European team, the U.K. team, and Australia. Um, it was, like, a lot of work. And I was it was, like, a part-time job. But, like, at the same time, they had me go to Europe for a month. And I was working every single day. So I was, like, wow. explaining to them, being, like, hey, yeah, like, it's actually kind of, like, more work than you guys think it is so i would have to turn it down um but at the same time like here in the states there isn't a lot of opportunity to get a job within the industry um right because there's only like there's fusion um there's gravity group there's ao proto now ethic is down here um oh really and then like nag gear yeah. yeah But a lot of when brands, did Ethic move like, to America? I thought isn't where's Ethic from originally? I should know this. So, Dissidence is like the distribution for Ethic and Prime and a few other companies. Um, right. And originally, Ethic was being like they were distributed by Turnstile for a bit and Gravity Group, and yep. they were, from my experience, like on the Vault side, like. We used to get ethics stuff, but we wouldn't get a lot of it. But when we would get it, it would sell really quickly. Right. Um, and so I think Cyril and Kevin DeMay kind of saw that, and they were just like, okay, like we need to make a presence in the state. And also, like there is a lack of distributors for the amount of scooter companies they are. Like There is a lack, and so that opened up the door for other brands like Drone um, and a few others to go and be distributed by Dissidents USA. Um, right. But they're like as soon as they opened up here, like their stuff, like the orders just like grew larger, and like their stuff like moved so quickly. Um, just because I think Ethic itself is like one of the perfect examples of how to run a scooter brand. Um, oh yeah, I think yeah. they're doing a great job, and the fact that like they are, um, where did this go? That they are like really working. Um, in the states now are they producing in the states like do they have a warehouse? no like a- so they they have yeah. like a warehouse but they okay. they don't like all their product is the, like made in china and then they'll just get containers shipped to san diego um and then to europe where their distributor is in france yeah okay are most of most scooter brands made in china because i know that like mad gear and uh envy are made in like the same like facility um but yeah so like i want to say other than like so there's china and there's taiwan um okay and a lot of brands are made in either china or taiwan um like tsi they are american-made affinities american-made apex is made in australia um with i don't know if it's like australian source material um but i know like jesse bay is like has a job where like welding scooter like apex decks so people really? here complain why an apex deck costs four hundred dollars and it's like well like a tsi deck costs like 260 250 um yeah like so just imagine like someone in australia doing the same thing tsi is doing 
but then they have to source material, which it's harder for them because they're an island. And right. then having to ship it out here, like it's going to cost $400 because that's how much it costs for them to like be able to keep making scooter parts. Yeah, because it's just a lot more overhead. For sure. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, I knew that Apex was made in Australia. And, um, I mean, everybody that has it one loves their decks. But, interesting. So, like, yeah. how much have you seen as far as... Because I know Turnstile went out of business. Um, how is the distributor scene right now? Um, I want to, like... I want to say, other than, like... Like, cause there's a new one that showed up, like Momentum, which is for Triad, Oath, and Urban Art. Um, right. Like, it's. I want to say, like, I feel like there's a need for one or two more distributors here, just so every brand gets the opportunity to really get, like, dedicated the time to be sold to shops. Like, right. Because um, really, there's Gravity Group, which is killing it. It's Envy and Fasten. Um, yep. they know what they're doing. They're killing it. Um, and I want to say they're They've probably the biggest distributor in the States. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's dissidents who really, you know, just because surreal and Kevin have done it before, like they did it in Europe, they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, so they were able to be successful in like doing a distributor. But then other right. than that, like a- AO, like they just do their own parts. Like fusion just does their own parts. Proto, they just do all TG or TGE does Proto and River, maybe a few yep. other brands. Um, but then other than that, you have like System, which does North and a few others, um, and then Momentum, who does like Oath and Triad and Urban Art. Uh, but yeah, I, I just feel like there's a need to have a few more. Like Chile, I, they're distributed by Micro. Um, yeah, I feel like there should so. be like two or three distributors not like there's a ton and they each have like two brands like why isn't there like something that has more brands like i guess i might not just just not understand how that works but i think the reason why is because a lot of distributors are also tied in with brands like for example like gravity group the owner of gravity group owns envy so okay a company who isn't under like envy or fashion if they go like i feel like they feel if they go to gravity group they'd be worried that their brand would be second to last to you know like ethic or not um envy and fashion and same thing to like you know some of the other brands it might just be like oh like they're worried about going to a distributor because that distributor owns a brand um where like i want to say like tilt like they they don't produce in the states anymore um I think they're, right. they're either in Taiwan or China, but they don't even have a warehouse where they employ people to ship out parts. It's all done third party. And since they, and this is huh. the same thing, like Nextport does this, or Fusion does the same thing. Like they are all um, like third party. Like they just ship their stuff to a warehouse. And then the warehouse, like I can tell you like, the Fusion warehouse, like when I walked in there a few times, there was like the scooter stuff, but then there was like ping pong tables and like, um, but I forget the game, like the, where you throw a beanbag into a hole on a, uh, yeah, um, like on the grass, um, like that yard game. I can't think of it. Um, yeah, yeah, I forget what it's called. It's the second time. There's I've just a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, just no. a bunch of random stuff. Cornhole. 
and yeah, cornhole. So like cornhole boards, they have spike ball nets, like all these things like at this warehouse and it's huge. Like I had to put my fingerprints down to even get in because it's so secure because there's so much product like in that warehouse. Um, like, oh, really? Okay. But the stuff is able to get out because the people there, like they're really good at doing their job. Like they might mess up one, like every once in a while and picking the wrong part, but everything is a little bit more like streamlined. Um, and so since right. when like tilt moved to that, like we started getting massive tilt orders all the time and they show up relatively quickly just because it's coming from like a third party shipper. Um, so there's right. like, so a the, they don't really touch options. it. Yeah. Like they just send their product to the warehouse, the warehouse deals with it and then it comes out. Um, so really you have like the brands who have their own distributors who distribute themselves and you have the third party. So that's really it. But I still feel like there is a need to have like a distributor out here who knows what they're doing that isn't third party. Yeah. Um that can really like equally give the love to like every single brand. Right. That they like yeah. distribute. How was getting product during COVID? Did you guys have problems like with that or just even still? Are you guys still having pr- trouble getting product? Um, I wasn't there during like the height of COVID, like in 2020, but I right. do remember like it was, it wasn't so much like there was a product sh- shortage. Um, and it right. was because of like, like the factories in China, like just w- didn't have people there cause China was going in and out of lockdown. There wasn't any boats to like get stuff on. And I remember right. like, I started back at the vault right when it was like the first big rush of stuff getting imported back from China. Cause like China was finally kind of open. We were open. The economy was like, you know, relatively strong because they were just pumping us with stimulus money. Um, and there was like a traffic jam at the port, like the port of LA, like there was boats docking for weeks, like waiting to get into the port. Um, because they like right. they didn't have enough staff, so I think like even when things when like finally there was no more product shortage, there was a um, a labor worker shortage. shortage. And, yeah, and, yeah, and so I think finally like hopefully next year like that will all be sorted because like people haven't been given a stimulus check or any unemployment money for like well over a year now. So hopefully like people are finally like yeah I need to go find a job and you know, get back to like kind of where we were pre COVID. Yeah. I've, I've been seeing this whole thing recently where it's like, I have lots of friends who are just graduating college. Um, and they're all talking about how they can't find jobs. And yet I have all these employers that I talk to who are like, Oh, we can't find workers. We're always short staffed. And I'm like, why? Like, shouldn't this be easier? But I guess, are we, do we just have too many educated people that we don't have those jobs but we have all these like service jobs that we can't fill um yeah like example like myself like i didn't go to college like, i went to college for like a semester and then right. that's when i was like hey like i want to move to california because i have this opportunity to do all this cool stuff right now and i don't want to like waste it away like for four years at classroom. asu like sitting right. in a classroom and like really give myself the chance to like be the scooter photographer that people want to hire in the future. Cause like I had this dream 
that scootering was going to get bigger, bigger, and bigger. And right. it has. Um, but so like, I didn't go to school, but in return, like I gained more photography skills, but I also like learned social media management and like athlete management and marketing and, and like project management and all these skills from, you know, wearing many different hats at the vault, working for fusion, um, which is like fusions under Nextport, which is a bigger brand that does a bunch of different like toys, like getting yeah. to learn from those people who have experience outside the scooter industry. Like I learned so much. So during COVID when I lost my job at fusion and I was looking for a new one, like, I would right. go apply for a job and like, I'd always get turned down just because I didn't have a degree. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like, so like I'm struggling to find something. People with degrees are struggling to find something. Um, but like, I feel like there is an issue with, there are a lot of educated people. Um, but also like for the jobs for like, there's such a big gap between like, if you're educated and have a college degree, how much money you make. And if you don't like you make way less money. Right. Um, right. and so I feel like a lot of people know that they're worth more money. So they're turning down the lower paid jobs or saying, no, like, you know, example, the whole push for fast food workers to make more than minimum wage, like right. that sort of thing, like being, and I think it's just like, 2020 was a wild year, like both with COVID, but also everything with Black Lives Matter. And I feel like that kind of kicked off a huge like human rights campaign within this country. Right. But yeah, on both totally. sides, it went super left and then super right. And now people like the Starbucks labor union thing, like I think what we're seeing right now is kind of like a revolution with how things are sort of like the standard of employment in this country. Like, you know, you should, even if someone didn't go to college, but they're sitting on the, or they're standing on their feet for nine, 10 hours a day, flipping burgers, like doesn't mean they should get paid $7 an hour. Like they have a family to feed. So they should be getting a livable wage. Um, right. Yeah. That's where it like, gets hard because our cost of living has gone up so much, but yeah, our wages have not matched it. So we're in this yeah. point where you literally can't live like without making it's probably closer to like $15 an hour now, isn't it? Or more than that? Yeah. Like uh, through like countrywide, like $15 an hour, like in yeah. LA, if you make $15 an hour, you're fucked. Like, sorry for my language, right. but if you make $15 no, an hour in LA, you're screwed. Like, right. Yeah. But like, um, and even in Arizona now, if you make $15 an hour, you're literally scraping by. And right. so it's just like, like 2020, it just kind of brought all these things because the economy like obviously tanked after COVID. Um, but then people kind of really felt the need to stand up for themselves too. And they're turning down jobs that aren't paying them enough. And that's why there's a labor shortage. Cause they're just like, no, like I know my worth. I'm not going to work for you unless you pay me this. And that's why they're struggling to hire people because they aren't willing to give people to match that. Well, they, they at, at the business level, they can't, they can't do that. They like, they can't afford to pay everybody that. Yeah. Which is, it's just so, so hard like, for everybody. Profit margins yeah. are just becoming way time, smaller. Yeah. And then at the same time, you have landlords and huge housing developers and like, or building developers. Like, they just built this massive, like, 30 story apartment 
complex next to my house. Um, yeah. And rents are like four grand for like a one bedroom. Like that's so really? much money. Like, so they're just what, what are you paying? Super high. Can I ask? <laughs> I pay. So I live in a house with two other people. Um, okay. And it is my boss's dad's house. So we get a really good deal, and I only pay like five hundred and fifty dollars a month. Um, okay. Yeah. So, which is like the house itself is like sixteen hundred dollars, and so it's I'm super lucky. Like I wouldn't be living in LA still if I didn't have this place because it's just so expensive that's, everywhere else. Yeah, that's awesome. I live in Wyoming, and I'm paying about six hundred for a two bedroom. So that's crazy. Like six hundred yeah, well, yourself, so the rent's like twelve. No, it's more. it's split, so it's twelve. Yeah. Damn, like that's. Like when I moved to LA, I was paying twelve hundred a month for one bedroom, and that same apartment now is like, I think three thousand. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, here also yeah. minimum wage is still like seven twenty five, so which is nuts. Like, there's yeah. no state minimum wage; it's just federal. That's crazy. So, but yeah, they're definitely yeah, that's not something to happen. Yeah, like they need to make affordable housing. They need to help these businesses make enough money to be able to f- pay their employees for affordable housing. Like, right. it's just crazy. Like, it's wild. Like, yeah. growing older, too. Like, never expect, like, thinking about this stuff, and yet here we are. Yeah, it's like moving, like, moving anywhere for me, it's, like, it's so hard. It's like, sure, there's this job. I get paid ninety thousand dollars a year or something but if i'm living in la or if i'm living in washington dc or new york like ninety thousand dollars isn't after like rent and food is not gonna be that much on top whereas i could go somewhere in the middle of nowhere like i am now and make sixty thousand dollars and have the same like leftover after like everything taxes and everything else it's just nuts so but what has been your most like valuable thing that you've learned in your career so far? Um, wow. Uh, definitely like, yeah, I know I just kind of hit you with that out of nowhere. Yeah. (laughs) I want to say being able to sort of like the boss again, can't think of the name of it. Um, when you're like, I don't know, like making connections, like for me, my photography career like i thought i was doing a really good job with it like before i started working at the vault but when i started working at the vault i met like you know the owner of envy i met the owner of like all the other brands and then they're like oh yeah you're a photographer so when they need a photographer they would call me so i started getting more photo work after that and then when i started working for fusion i traveled internationally and i got you know, I became really good friends with a lot of dudes that like, obviously like we all know who everyone is in the industry. Like, um, like I knew who Lewis Crampton was like, just because I was like scooter resource and watching his edits and stuff. And then I go over to Barcelona the first time and I meet this guy in real life. And I'm just like, you know, we like start talking immediately. Like we know each other, but being able to grow like these connections with everyone worldwide, like that's the one thing I learned and how to maintain that. Um, it's kind of like the most valuable thing I learned because that is so necessary in any industry to grow your career. Um, and now like it's led me to like 
you know, I'm doing myself the ball, but I also um, work for World Skate, which is an international federation that has jumped in to try to help scootering get to the Olympics. Right. And yeah. they have me as like the North and South American chair. And the only reason why I have that job is because like I met Lewis and like had a friendship with Lewis and Hail Mary and all them. So when they asked like, Hey, who from America do you think could do this? Like I was the first name that they gave. That's awesome. Yeah. How yeah. is, cause I know I talked to scooter Brad like a year ago. And I know that uh, Bradley's on that, or he's working on that somehow. Is he a chair on yeah. that as well? I don't okay. know if so what, what? he's a chair or not, but I'm sure he has something to do with the like New Zealand Federation. That's like for New Zealand for scootering. Right. But, what is it looking like for scootering? Or have you heard anything as far as the Olympics that is possible? Yeah. Um... I mean, I we entered, so a few months ago, we put in an application for LA 2028, um, and from what I'm hearing, there is a really good chance that the IOC will accept that. Um, so, for example, next month in Argentina, there's the World Skate Games, and they're going to do their World Championship, the World Skate World Championship, at that contest. Yeah. Um, and apparently like the IOC or IOC members are going to be there like in attendance. Um, so they're going to be able to see like in person, like Jordan Clark and Jonathan Peroni, Lucas DiMeglio, um, Chris Ferris, Cody Flom, like all these people actually like riding in front of them. And right. So if that goes well and they like what our bid is like, or they like our application, then. I think we'll do it. I think we find out, like, they said quarter two in 2023, so, like, probably April or May next year. If we're really? going to be in the 2020 So it's Olympics. in L.A.? The next Olympics is in L.A.? Summer? So 2024 is in Paris, and then right. 2028 is in L.A. They just start picking the sports, like, six years before the games because they need to prepare for what sports are going to be there like if they have to build any venues or stuff like that so they need to know well ahead of time to start preparing gotcha so we're looking at possibly 2028 yeah so 2028 if not 2028 there's a really like i'd be shocked if we weren't in like 2032 in melbourne which is crazy because like the next three olympics are in places where scootering is the strongest in each of their yeah. like continents. Like France, like like is huge for scootering. Like right, it's I want to say it's almost bigger than skateboarding out there. Um, yeah, and then here L.A. like Southern California scooter scene is, is super strong out here, and in Melbourne, yeah, like so it's wild that like the next three places are perfect for scootering. So. Hopefully that helps too. That like the ILC will see like, oh, okay, like scootering is really popular in Southern California, so we won't have to worry about selling tickets to this event for scootering because everyone's going to want to be there. Right. Do you know how that like the qualifier yeah. for the Olympics would work for scootering? Um. So I think we're developing it still. So like I'm on the technical commission, so a lot of the stuff that I do is stuff like that, like figuring out the 
the qualifying process and all that. And I'm sure right. it'll be very similar to either like BMX or skateboarding where you have to go right. and compete in X amounts of world skate contests and get a world ranking. And then if I remember right, I know this is how BMX worked is like pretty much they like only like a country can only take like one or two athletes, sometimes three. And that's if I feel like they're holding the current world title. So, like, for example, like, right. the U.S. for women's BMX had the world title because um, Hannah, I can't think of her lot, Hannah Roberts was the current world champion. And before that, it right. was another American. So, like, they got the sin, th- uh, I think they only got the sin two. And some other countries only got the sin one. So, it really just depends on kind of how many athletes we can have in the event like it's a very small amount like there is no qualifier at the olympics at the olympics it's literally just like a semis and a final right yeah so what have you been working on like a lot that you're excited about (laughs) yeah um i'm really excited for obviously the world skate games in argentina like in Buenos Aires, like we've never like there hasn't been like a huge scootering event in South America, and right. I remember the first time scootering went to Extreme Barcelona, and how having that event at Extreme Barcelona really piqued the interest of a lot of kids in Spain, um, and now you're seeing some of those kids who went to like the first scooter world championship at Extreme Barcelona, like they picked up a scooter and now they're competing. Yeah, that's not like, yeah. So I'm hoping it gives people in Argentina the opportunity to see scootering and like hopefully pique their interest, but also get the opportunity to see how the scene already is there. Because I know there's a scene in Argentina and other like Brazil and stuff like that. But since no one goes down there a lot, like I think Ethic went to Colombia a couple years ago. yeah. But other than that, you're not seeing like a ton of scooter brands go to South America for trips or ride days or anything like that. So you don't really know what the scene looks like. Um, so I think we'll get to see the scene a little bit. And then what I'm hoping is like the response from that, like people will get interested in riding scooters in South America. And then you'll start seeing people come up from South America. Like there's like yeah. that kid from Colombia, like Juan Camillo, like he's super good. And like, he's like one of the only kids who you see competing on the international stage. So I'm hoping this opens up the door for the riders from South America to get their name out there. And I think it'll be better for right. the scooter industry too, because you know, if we start selling more scooters to South America, that's one whole region that we haven't really touched yet. So I'm stoked on right. that. And then next year, there's going to be a bunch of like big events happening for like, we're going to like, not so much a world cup, but there's going to be like more, events happening that are like these in extreme barcelona but they're like yeah maybe there'll be one in australia there might be one here in the states um so you're gonna see more like major competitions for scooter riders to compete in um that aren't just like the small little local contests they'll like actually be something like big well i'm surprised that worlds is here this year like did you have any impact on that like how did that happen um I, so when I, I was on the ISA board up until like the end of last year, and I know there was a whole bunch of restructuring happening, um, but essentially like, I know they want, like, 
I don't want to speak on it too much just because, like, uh, when I joined World Skate, the ISA got kind of bummed because it's kind of competing. Like, right. it's two different federations. And in my eyes, I'm just like, I don't care if there's two different federations as long as, like, the more scooter contests, the better. The more major exactly. events every year, the better. Like, For sure. So you guys keep doing your thing. I'm going to go help World Skate. But uh, I assume that they just, like, they wanted to do it in the States because it's been in Europe. Like, it's never left Europe. And yeah. Lake Havasu is a very desirable place to go to. Um, the skate park, I personally don't think it's a world, like, a world championship skate park. Like, compared to what they usually hit, like, at Extreme Barcelona. Um, yeah, that's true. But the experience itself, like, it's going to be a really good time for everyone that's going. Um, and Are you going to make like, it there? You know, out here, I'm not, because it's the one weekend I'm not out of town. Um, oh, yeah, I got gotcha. And, yeah, and so I just decided, like, and, like, I'm going to Lake Havasu on Friday for Sovereign Street, so don't really want to make that drive twice in two weeks oh right because there is a different event every weekend like this whole month right yeah or like it's like literally sovereign street and then outlet then worlds isf and then i think there might be a weekend without something and then there's the street world championship for world skate in argentina and outlet for and then the next weekend is for park in Buenos Aires. So it's like literally like right. the next six weeks or something almost every weekend. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of driving to Havasu for you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I'm just showing, especially because like I have to be in Buenos Aires the whole like scooter event. So yeah. park and street, like our street is one week and then parks the next. So I have to be there for over like, I think almost like three weeks. So yeah. I'm definitely trying to like enjoy any time I have at home before leaving for that long too. Well, why did you leave ISA for uh, you know World's Gate or whatever? So, um, I've been with the I like I was with the ISA for a really long time, and right. the old leadership at the ISA really struggled with actually taking what their rider committee was telling them and actually in, like implementing it. Like, for right. example, like a rider asked for like certain changes to the format and a lot of riders agreed with that rider and they didn't change it. And then it just turned into like, they wouldn't give us any information. Like if we're on your rider committee and you're like, our job is to like help you make decisions that affects the riders. And instead they would just like withhold information and stuff. And it got to the point where like, literally I felt like I was just wasting my time and my energy on it. And right. that's when, so world skate and the ISA originally worked together in 2019 at the yeah. world roller games in Barcelona. Um, and world skate was very interested in screwing at that time. And they are a huge international federation. They've got skateboarding in the Olympics. They have several other roller sports under, like, they know what they're doing. Like, they, they have yeah. the structure. And they offered to bring the ISA into World Skate and have the current or the former, like, leadership at the ISA be the leadership for, like, World Skate Scooter and run it. 
And for some reason, they didn't want, like, the ISA didn't want to do that. And I remember when they told me that, I was like, I don't think you guys understand how big World Skate is. Because just because you guys said no, like, they're not going to want, they're not going to back off. Like, they want scooters now. So they're going to go and get right. it. And they have the power to do it. Um, but what made me leave was World Skate was actually listening to the riders. Like, yeah, right. They they had a full meeting at Extreme Barcelona in twenty twenty in twenty twenty one, and they were they disclosed everything. They didn't hold anything back. They showed like or they said like what they want to do. They didn't withhold any information. They didn't act sketchy or anything like that. Yeah. And then when we like when they formed the International Technical Commission, like they pick like they literally just made sure it was people who like are actively in the industry and who have the respect of the riders and who really care. So that's why it's like myself, Lewis Crampton, Maddie Cervolo, and then Hell Mary um, from Finland, like all people who've been around for a really long time, who have an amazing repertoire with the community and they let us make the decisions. Like we write the rule book, we make the format, like we make the park design, like, we have full say in that. Like they That's don't world sick. skate doesn't step in until yeah, like they don't step in until it's something super technical, like maybe legal or something like that that we don't understand. And that's when they step in and you know, be like, okay, this is what we need to do. Um so right. when I saw that, like I was just like, okay, like it's a fresh start. Because ISA has been happening forever and they kept saying like all this stuff was gonna happen. Like we're gonna do this, 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 and nothing changed. Um and so I think it's just like for me, it made sense for me to be able to jump to World Skate and actually like they wanted me to help. Like they wanted to accept my help. They wanted me to work with the ISA. Like they said they want me, but then like I'm just sitting there like waiting to do something. And it's like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. It's like, so I think that's, so, that's why I jumped because it's just like I felt yeah, the what? need or I felt that I was actually needed. Yeah, what are the contests that are held by World Skate? I, I like because I know there's lots of ISF contests and there's lots of um, are the IS is the ISA now ISF or are they different? Yeah, so the ISA the ISA is ISF. I just have trouble remembering that. Um, okay, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So they they went from International Scooter Association to International Scooter Federation in 2021. Okay, gotcha. So, what contests yeah. are the World Skate contests? So, World Skate, since 2019, they've had Extreme Barcelona as one of their events. Um, Feast, which is in France, um, right. is one of their events. And then also, like, the European Championships, the Madrid Contest, um, those have been all their, like, sanctioned events so far right um so are they not like hosting anything up, like, in the states skate games they will be next year like the goal is okay. to do what we're calling like a proper event um in the u.s and so hopefully we get the opportunity to bring like a fee style or an extreme barcelona style event to the states where it's not a public skate park that we're renting out it's a temporarily built skate park in the middle of like a city center or something that is new to all the riders and also like we'll want to bring out all these riders from all around the world um 
to come and ride in this event. So hopefully, like, next year they will be hosting an event in the States. And then not to mention, there'll be a bunch of other little events that um, the organizers that... So, like, it's super technical, but, for example, like, United Scoot is the national governing body for, like, the ISF. And then here in the States... um, for World Skate America, the scooter organizers are USA Roller Sports, um, and they're gotcha. like a national governing body for like roller hockey and like all these other sports. Um, so we're going to be doing like an, a bunch of events for riders to come and ride in to get like a national ranking. So gotcha. hopefully next year you're going to see like a ton of United Scoot events. You're going to see a ton of USA Roller Sports events. And there'll be like almost a contest like twice a month or something like that, which would be really sick. That would be nuts. That'd be plenty of. That'd be getting to the level of contest that I think there should be. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's what I'm most excited about. I know there's a few people out there that are worried about it dividing riders, which all the riders I've talked to, they're just like, I just want to ride my scooter. Like, I just want to. Right, compete. exactly. It's like, okay, cool. Like, because all I want is for riders to be able to compete, and I don't care if it's at isf or united scoot or world skate like i just want riders out there right exactly and i think that there'll be there are going to be people who are going to like pick one uh just because of time constraints or money constraints or whatnot um but lots of people just do all of them so yeah and i think one thing that we're going to focus on here is like doing like because united scoot has done an incredible job at giving a place for the younger kids to compete. Um, And, but at the same time, like those contests are so long, like they're so long. They go from like nine in the morning to like 7 PM at night. And the pros don't ride until later on. Right. And so I think one thing I, like if I had a say in like the world skate comps or the USA roller sports comps here, like that we do a junior division am, and then pro. Right. So that way, like, or, like, just do junior pro and then, like, an open contest for whoever to come out and just ride that's below, like, a junior level um, or something just so it doesn't go all day. Um, And then leave the, leave the, like, the events for all the little kids, like, for United Scoop. Like, because I think, like, they've done a really good job at um, giving... A platform for the little kids so go and compete right yeah, yeah. for sure i was yeah. uh talking to um kind of switching subjects here but i was talking to a skateboarder who rides for pal peralta and he talks a lot about teams going and doing visits to um like actual skate shops and going there and talking with the people who own it and the people who uh, are there and the employees and building that relationship. And I don't know, like, I don't see that as much in the scooter industry. Have you seen any of that or think that was a good idea or like, yeah, I mean, I want to say back like in 2015, 2016, like we saw a lot of brands that would come into the vault and like it was like we were doing something almost like once a month with a different brand, and especially around the time when the SC contest was happening, um, right? We'd see a lot of shop visits, and that kind of slowed down um, after like 2018. 
and yeah. now it's super rare. Like, I mean, the scooter farm, they do a great job at hosting, like, events for pros to come into the shop and, like, not only, like, talk with the people at the shop, but they also get to meet, like, all these kids. And so I'm hoping, like, next year that we can start doing more shop visits, but also, like, getting out to skate parks and doing more ride days and stuff like that. Right. And getting, you know, the sport, like, like seen again. Because, like, you can only keep, some, like, a kid's interest for so long unless they are deeply invested in the sport. Like, they're probably going to fall out at some point. So, but I know for me, and like, I when I grew up skateboarding, like, meeting my favorite pro skater, like, really, you know, helped me, like, still be invested in skateboarding. Right. Because I think that those, like, the intimate, more... Uh, visits with like communities and the community events are what really bring people in. Um, maybe it's not a mass amount of people, but you're getting a few people who are dedicated. Um, and I just have not seen that in the scooter industry as much as I've seen it in like say skate or even BMX. So, yeah. So I'm hoping that, that that's something I know I was talking to Envy, um, or one of the guys at Gravity Group a couple of weeks ago, and that's one thing we were talking about, is, like, getting back to skate parks, getting back into shops, like, actually doing um, face-to-face events. Um, right. Because I feel like that really helped. Like, we saw a major boost in scootering in, like, 2016, 2017, and that was partly to do with the YouTube um, bump with, like, Tanner and, like, the Funk Bros., but also, like, it was right. because a lot of riders were, like, getting to skate parks and, like, interacting with kids and really piquing interest. And I think that, like, in 2018, the industry really saw, like, a drop. Like, we were up, and then we just shot down. And a lot of brands yeah. since then are, like, really afraid to invest their money into doing these events because they don't see an immediate return on investment. Like, they are like, oh, I don't want to do it. And it's like, right. Well, like we kind of have to, because that's what we grew. Like that's what we grew the sport on. Like, right. Well, but, it's it's interesting because it feels yeah. like the only reason, the only way you can get people or like actual companies to a shop is through like a street jam. So there's all these street jams happening, which I think are good, but like I don't see any company investment in like the actual places that sell their parts. <laughs> as much as i think there should be yeah like i mean when we did the la street jam when ruben organized it back in july like we did something with tilt but it was just like a sample cell like pretty much they needed to clear out a bunch of samples they just had laying around and they just shipped it all to the vault and then we did like a sample cell but like the turnout was huge and i was just like you know we need to get back into doing stuff like this like if there's a ride day if there's a contest like it's unfortunate there isn't, like, a ton of shops in Vegas or, like, Lake Havasu because with the ISF and with Stop in the Street, like, it'd be the perfect opportunity to, like, go out and do something in those communities. Right. Um, but I think that's also where there's kind of a lack. No, I think there's, like, a bike shop that or a skate shop that sells scooter stuff. But that's also kind of the issue, too, is, like... That's kind of boof, you, actually. Yeah, like, there is, you know, obviously there's the vault, the scooter farm, um, scooter zone, and, like, a bunch of other shops that just only sell scooters, um, but a lot of shops are, like, bike shops, so they're not necessarily interested in doing a shop visit, like, they're just, like, catering to, 
you know, the parents that come in asking if they have a scooter for their kid. Like, right. So that's why I think ride days are super important. Like, because you don't need a shop necessarily. You just need a skate park to go to and meet a ton of kids. And then hopefully that also piques the interest of like potential shop owners being like, Oh, like maybe I should open up a shop in my community instead of these kids having to order online. And then they don't know how to like dial their scooter. So they drag it to a bike shop and they make some poor bike tech who doesn't understand scooters. Like, get on YouTube and try to figure out how to like dial an SES. Like, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely been something that I've seen. Um, just as far as like, there's not that many, there's a lot of bike shops that sell scooters, but there's not nearly as many scooter shops. Like almost every town is a skate shop. Right. But there's very few scooter shops. And the the sport is growing at a rate that like, there could be like there's a lot of scooter riders especially out west yeah easily like i feel like there could um but like the last couple of years like especially right now like there's no way that someone can go and open up a scooter shop like maybe in like a year or two once the economy sort of like levels back out but um it's tough like i was in like that's one thing that i kind of saw in europe like it's not just here in the states where that there's that issue like in barcelona right like barcelona is like one of the destinations for every scooter rider and yet they don't have a shop that's in the city of barcelona like i think the closest shop Hmm. is like radical 360 which is outside of town like you have to like get a cab and like go over this hill and then you can go to the shop um interesting and there there was a shop there but they just weren't making enough money to sustain themselves but then like in Paris, like, I remember we visited Nomad. I think it was called Nomad. And it's this huge shop that sells, like, skate stuff, snowboarding, all this. But, like, they had a huge dedicated, like, center to scootering. And, like, so, like, right. it can definitely be done. I just think that, you know, in the last few years, it's just been difficult. For sure. Well, I have, like, in your eyes, what does scootering mean? Like, what would help? scootering just in general maybe grow maybe just the industry or the vibe i don't know what do you think scootering needs so i think it needs a combination of like more contests like more things for people like if you think about team sports like scootering isn't a team sport but like when you play in a team sport you're playing at least once a week if not several times a week and right like so for the scooter riders that ride contests, like this is more for like the contest guys, like being able to get out there like at least once a month and ride in an event, like that's going to keep you more active. Like there's not going to be this dead space where we used to see like ISF worlds that happen in like June. And then all of a sudden there's nothing for the rest of the year and it kicks back off. And that's why I'm glad everything's pushed back to October because it's more spread out, but like more scooter right. contests, more ride days. Um, and also, like, Outlet. Like, Outlet is easily one of the sickest contests I've ever been to. And it it brings back... It's sort of a ride day vibe, but with a contest at the same time. And it's just a huge session with all your homies, and you're just throwing down, and it's absolutely insane. Right. Um, 
like more things like that like just more events for people to get out to and to ride their scooter but also to get scootering in front of the eyes of people who it may not catch so like for example like this world skate event they want to do in like america next year like i don't want to do it in southern california like because there's tons of scooter contests out here already um i want to do it in a place where there really isn't any big scooter events like toronto or something like that where like like, oh like it's a big city but also like they've never really had anything like that or do something in like like feast used to be in denver like denver would be sick or like yeah i was about um, to say like colorado has a huge scene um and there's like nothing there there's like hardly any contests yeah so like somewhere that could need like where if we do an event there everyone's gonna be like oh hell yeah like we need to go like we need to go watch this like where when something happens here in southern california like there's an esco comp like every two months i feel like sometimes it's like i'm not gonna go to every single one um so i'm hoping like we can do something like that just like scootering just needs to get in the front of eyes of people um and also i think the riders just need because that was the other thing that was happening like back in like 2016 is there was always something like at least like once a month like if it wasn't an ISF right. or an ISA qualifier or like just another little local contest like there was always something to do and that was keeping people right. on their scooter and then when that kind of died down like when there was a gap between you know contests like where you know worlds happens and then there's nothing until like february like people aren't really riding um so i feel like just a combination of that and then also like if scootering does get into the olympics if they come to us next year and then yeah like you're in like i think that's going to change a lot of things because once a sport is an olympic sport there's a lot of funding that starts happening from right. local governments and stuff but also like i'm like i met um one of the skaters that's on the u.s national team from hawaii um and Heymana reynolds and he's on like Heymana's sick Warren. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But dude, Himan is a homie. Yeah. I hung out with him for a bit at Woodward. Dude, he's so nice. He, uh, I was shooting a photo with him, like, week one, like, years ago. And I was shooting fish, and his board just shot out and, like, hit me in the face. (laughs) And his dad, like, was so worried because his dad was there, like, filming it. And I was like, yo, it's okay. Like, it's all good. Like, it happens. Like, Woodward took care of me. Like, it's the first yeah. time I've ever had to do, like, a workers' comp situation. Uh, yeah. But, like, a few years later, I'm watching the Olympics, and Heyman is dropping in. I'm like, yeah, that guy hit me in the face with his skateboard. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I have a video no, like, of Heymana trying to tail up my scooter, and I think it's so funny. <laughs> that's amazing. He's such a cool dude. Him and, like, Jagger, like, a lot of the dudes on the Olympic team are all super cool. But, like, yeah. is on Ralph Lauren. Like, he's sponsored by Ralph Lauren. Like, how yeah, dope is nuts. that? Like, that's not, like, like, you wouldn't think of an action sports athlete being on, like, a Tommy Hilfiger or Ralph Lauren, like, but yet right. Ralph Lauren wants to invest in the Olympic athletes, so they pick up Heymana. Like, that's going to start happening in scootering. Like, you're going to see riders get a Toyota sponsorship just because they're, like, a potential Olympic athlete. Like, right. it's not just going to be Red Bull, Monster, and Nike. Like, it's going to be... Red Bull, Monster, Nike, Adidas, but also, like, 
all these random companies that you've never heard of, or that scooter riders wouldn't necessarily never associate with action sports, but yet they're going to want to invest in these athletes. Which is so sick. I'm so excited for that. Because that'll bring so much more money into the sport yeah. and people can actually make it their job, which is the dream, right? Yeah. So, Like, exactly. And that's the other thing, too. Like, if, for example, like, I'm assuming Jordan Clark is the highest paid athlete at Maggie. Like, I'm assuming that's the deal. Maybe yes. him and, like, Juzzy. And, um, but, like, once Red Bull and Monster come in, like, they could easily start paying Jordan, like, maybe, like, double what Maggie already pays them. Hopefully, that's what right. I mean. And, like, then all of a sudden, Maggie can go to him and be like, hey, like, because now you're focusing on promoting Red Bull so much, like, we're going to step back on your pay so that we can afford to sponsor other athletes that don't have the big sponsorship money, you know? So I think like that right. will also be cool. So I give the opportunity for brands to afford to pay like the smaller riders out there. Like, um, right. Like, you know, Pierce and like all these other dudes who are really good, but they're not at that, like Cody Fom, Jordan Clark, Jaden Sharman level. Like, but they could be. They just need the support to get there, you know? Um, right. So I think I hope that's what happens, too, is, like, when the other sponsors cup, like, come in, they start picking up all the big riders, the brands can afford to start paying for the smaller guys the and actually next, make it... A, next up, yeah. Yeah, like, the next generation, like... Right. Um. So I think yeah, if it happens, I think it'll be... We'll be in a much better position than we were, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, didn't uh, Ralph Lauren create all of the Olympic gear for the skate team? So, Ralph Lauren was one of the apparel sponsors for the entire U.S. national team. Oh, For right. our Olympic team. Um, Nike was the ones that made the skateboard uniforms for all the countries. Or for most of the countries. They did, I think they did, like, U.S., France... And a few others, and I think like Adidas did some other countries, and then like Spain had their own um, company that did it. Um, but yeah, so but Ralph Lauren, like they, like I think they made the jackets or something for like right because um, I remember the, I remember ceremony. a picture that Heymana posted with like the whole skate Olympic finals team, and they were like in those Ralph Lauren jackets. I was like, those are sick, like. <laughs> That would yeah. be so cool to have. Like, yeah, like Volcom. Volcom just did the U.S. like for the Winter Olympics. They did the U.S. snowboard and ski teams like uniforms. Like, um, right. So, it's cool that like, at the same time, like brands that are associated with like, it's not like they're having like some random brand that really had nothing to do with that sport before right. and make their uniforms like they're bringing in Volcom to like make this because they know the riders are like Volcom knows how to make snowboard gear so they're like we're gonna right. have you guys do this um and same thing with like nike uh but yeah do they like, bring somebody in or do they ask the riders who they want or like how does that work i'm sure that my guess is they probably have like a bidding process like i'm assuming that like Right. They told Nike, hey, if you want to be the apparel sponsor for the U.S. Olympic team, you have to make them. You have to pay for it because, like, we could go to anyone else who's willing to throw their logo on and pay, you know? 
Right. But so they're like, they're, yeah. they're probably getting paid or they're probably, yeah, I don't know. They're making it. And then they're also yeah, they're, like paying some sort of royalty. Yeah, definitely. Like I'm going to assume that's what happened. Um, but yeah, like there's going to be so much more opportunity if the Olympic thing happens. But at the same time, like the Olympics isn't the end goal either. Like, cause those only happen no. every four years. Like we want something to happen that the guys look forward to every year. But I think it, it definitely uh, makes people take us more seriously, like makes average Joes and average companies like actually like take us seriously. Cause right now I feel like they just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when so. like I was looking for a new job, like in between fusion and when I went back to the vault, like I have my resume, but it's all scooter companies and they're like, Oh, like what is scootering? And like, they don't take me seriously. It's like, I literally ran like marketing and social media for a brand. Like that's all right. sh- that should matter. But yet, because they've never heard of the brand or scooter and they don't think they don't take it as serious. So like, what I kind of weird too, startup is run, this? Yeah, exactly. Like, so <laughs> I think in the long run too, it's going to help out like not just the writers, but people who work in the industry who might want to, you know, branch out and work elsewhere. And they'll be like, Oh, like, scootering that's an olympic sport like yeah it's an olympic sport and then all of a sudden your resume looks 10 times better because you worked with an olympic sport right yeah that's a that's an yeah. awesome committee to be on for your resume and an awesome thing that will really work good for everybody in the sport so i'm excited for it um yeah we've kind of hit our time i'll uh, ask you one more question so uh We'll finish up with that. But if you have like any advice for anybody who is trying to get into like the social media, the marketing, the photography side of scootering, uh, what advice do you have for them? I think for like advice I would give for the photography stuff, like just try to shoot photos like every single day or every single time you go to the skate park, like take your camera and just shoot photos. Like, because you're only going to like, for me, I taught myself how to shoot photos. Like, I got advice from a bunch of photographers, but, like, I knew everything by the time I took my first photo class. Um, right. So, like, teach yourself. Like, just go and, like, just shoot photos every day. And then if you're trying to get into the social media and the marketing side, like, I definitely suggest, like, trying to put yourself in a position where it'll be where you kind of already know a little bit of it. So like, for example, like Google, they have like different courses that people can take on like marketing and social media, like look into that and just like try to get a little bit of understanding about how social media marketing works. Um, and then just apply it to your own page, like market yourself, make a brand for yourself. And then that way, if you go to a company and you might not have any experience outside or like within scootering yet you can be like hey like i'm a scooter rider and i grew my page to this many followers and i did this this and this like and like that's gonna help a lot um and just like try to make connections like put yourself in a place yeah. where you can like meet people and like when you're at an event like stop in the street like get to know like yeah you know who the riders are but try to figure out who the brand owners are there like try to find surreal from ethic and introduce yourself or tony from gravity group and introduce yourself and like and get your name out there because right. when it, when they turn around and they might need someone, like if you send in an application, they're going to remember you too. Right. To add to that, what equipment yeah. would you, or do you use most or would you recommend? Cause I know that's a big st- like uh, point for people. Yeah. 
Um, right now, I have, like, a full, like, I use a Canon 1DX, and then I have, like, a Sigma sports lens. I use the Tokina fisheye um, and use Godox flashes with, like, pocket wizard triggers. But for me, like, right. for anyone that's looking to get into it, um, I will say... If you want to go mirrorless, go mirrorless. I think mirrorless is great. I still shoot on like a normal digital SLR, but once you pick a, like a camera brand, try to stick with that brand when you keep upgrading the cameras because what's going to happen? Like, if you get a Canon, then you'll have to get lenses that have the like the Canon mount. Um, right. So once you invest in a camera brand, like stick with it. But I would suggest like you know any like if you're trying to go mirrorless, the Canon and the Sony mirrorless cameras are great. If you're trying to stick with classic like digital slr with like a shutter with a mirror in there like i would go with canon just because that's what i've been shooting with the last like 15 right. years um yeah i was about to say yeah canon but or just sony? like start small yeah definitely canon like i love the sony cameras for filming i yeah. that's the one thing i will say so one thing that i didn't do that i wish i did was when i was when I grew up shooting photos, it was you either picked up a photo camera or you picked up a video camera. These days, right. you can pick up both. Like because your camera can do both. Like teach yourself both things cuz the one things the one thing that the companies are looking for the most is someone that can do both. And right. that's like I struggle on the video side. Like I know how to film cuz that's what I started doing before I shot photos, but like I never was able to focus like I had to do one or the other where now you can do both. So like Get yourself a camera that's good for photo and for video and learn how to do both. And, like, you can go to a brand and be like, hey, I can make you an edit, but I can also get you photos. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, perfect. Like, right. that's my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I know lots of people <laughs> are picking that. up Sony A-series now. And those, I mean, everybody that has one loves them. But, I mean, I'm partial to, like, Canon. Like, I have a, I had a 90D before I have, I have a Blackmagic now. But um, the the... The Canon 90, the D series is nice. Like, they're good stuff, so. Yeah. And they even have now, like, the R series, which is their mirrorless camera. Like, so I have the 1DX, and that's the full professional body, like, photo camera. Like, But they have, I think it's the R3. Yeah, the R3 is the 1DX for mirrorless. And, like, that's my next camera. Like, just because it's lighter, it's newer, like, mirrorless is right what everyone's switching to these days um but also has very good like video capability where if i i can get into the filming stuff if i wanted to right sweet well thank you so much shelby yeah. for uh taking some time out today and talking to me uh, i really appreciate it i had fun and i'm sure everybody else did as well and uh yeah thank you guys all for listening again and uh i'll have another episode of you guys in a couple weeks Thank you all for listening, and I will see you in the next one.